Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Hello, I am Peter. And this is Living Word Bible Church at Hope Valley in Adelaide. Good morning to the people gathered here. Hello to those further afield. Yes, even Point Turton and places beyond. Our Bible reading today is found in James. James, of course, was brother of Jesus. James chapter 1, commencing at verse 19 and it comes under the heading, Listening and Doing. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, become and slow to be angry. For a man's anger does not bring about righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless." Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. I was at a business dinner um, recently and I arrived late because I had a Bible college exam and it's a night class so I had a night exam. And when I got there, uh, someone at, at the table, I didn't know these people at the table, they asked me, what are you studying? And I'm sure that the people at the table expected me to say something like a Masters of Business. And I briefly pondered my, my response because I, I didn't know these people. Um, so I said I was at Bible college and it was met with some surprised looks from those that were there. And then there wasn't much more discussed on the topic. Until later that evening, one of the guys came up to me uh, and started to ask me uh, several questions, and we got into a lengthy conversation about Christianity. And I remember a point in that conversation where he said something about religion. And I said instinctively that Christianity isn't religion, it's a relationship. As if to distance religion as something bad or negative, and to distinguish Christianity from empty ritualism that might... Uh, might be related to other organised religions. And as I was preparing this passage, um, I started to think a bit more about religion. 
Uh, and I don't know if any of you have stopped to think about religion. Is it a negative thing? Would you describe yourself as religious? This book, um, this passage today is in James, and James was the brother of Jesus. And James is concerned with religion, uh, and genuine, genuine religion at that. He's after a true Christianity, an authentic spirituality, a faith that has integrity. And we'll see later when we get to verse 27, James isn't shy to use the word religion. He says that religion is something that can be pure and faultless. In the first half of chapter 1, James showed us that trials, that we, that we will face trials in life, and that trials are something to rejoice in because God uses these trials to perfect our faith and to make us stronger as Christians. We're called to persevere. And then later throughout the earlier bit of the chapter, he moves on to talk away from trials and starts talking about temptations, which are, which are our inward enticements to sin. He warned believers not to blame God for temptation in their lives. God does not dangle evil before people to entice them to sin. He stated that the desires of the readers, that their desires are actually responsible for luring them into disobedience. And he taught that God only gives good and perfect gifts to believers and not to vary from that principle. And then there's something in that first half of, of chapter one that then links to the passage that we'll be looking at today. And that's in verse 18. And I'm not sure if we've got the slides going. Yep, great. So in verse 18, there's the term word. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And word here is referring to the word of God, the scriptures. And that verse shows us how instrumental the word is for us as believers. And in verse 21, we also see word mentioned again. Humbly accept the word planted in you. The same word of truth that was instrumental in us being born again we're being, to, we're being urged to accept that word. The title of the message this morning is Listen and Act. And there are two key points that we're going to be looking at in this passage. Firstly, receiving the word. And then secondly, putting the word into action. And James, um, in this passage, is using imagery that shows an idea of a seed that's been planted in us. And like any seed, it needs rich, nourishing soil to take root and grow, just like the trees that I've just planted. The word implanted in us is designed to grow and bring forth a harvest of righteousness in our lives. And how do we do that? Well, the answer is sandwiched between the two mentions of word there in verses 18 and 21. There's four areas of our life that James is asking us to take note of. And these are very important if we are to receive the word and to put the word into action. So let's have a look. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
Do you see how James opens this passage in verse 19? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. When it comes to scripture, our response should be to take notice. But when the passage begins with take note of this, we should focus our attention as something really important is about to be said. The original readers of James's letter had the word planted in them, and they understood the transforming power of that word, the gospel. James is urging that they're being a demonstrating of this transformative change in their lives. What begins as a courteous, my brothers and sisters, moves on to a challenge to listen more, talk with thought, restrain anger, and clean the heart. These four challenges apply both to our relationships to one another and to our relationship with God. We are to be quick to hear and slow to talk, both towards people and towards God. So let's look closely at these four challenges. Firstly, being quick to listen, which will be on the next slide. We need to listen more. James was likely written about 45, 50 AD, and in the first century, the act of listening was very important. It was an oral culture, and books were rare, and most people couldn't read them, even if they were around. If you weren't disciplined in listening, then you risk missing out on truth. Listening is just as important today, and listening doesn't extend to just what's communicated orally, just what we hear, but it's also visually. If there was a sign at the beach that says, do not swim, sharks present, and you ignore it and get yourself in trouble, well, you would rightly, people would rightly say you didn't listen. Listening is very important. And it's a skill that some people might have to work on harder than others. Listening to others means giving your full attention to them. And even waiting until they've done speaking, until you speak. And you can't do missions, share the gospel, without listening first to the person that you wish to share to, to understand context, to understand their situation, to hear what they're saying. Listening is also important when it comes to the Word of God. Are we focused during our private devotion times? Are we attentive when we're studying the Word in our small groups? Are we creating the space to allow the Word of God to speak to us? Or are we daydreaming, thinking about the plans for the week, getting caught up in the business of life? In urging us to be good listeners, James is suggesting we need to soak up the truth of the word and to create the space to hear God. And then closely related to being a good listener is the second challenge. Be slow to speak, meaning talk with thought. Being quick to listen calls us for an eagerness to hear and obey God's message. Whilst being slow to speak demands silence until we've understood and applied the message. It's a call for restraint, otherwise we can produce hasty or ill-timed responses. Stating the obvious, we can't be a good listener if we're talking all the time. Our mouth can tear down the people of God and can also unknowingly create barriers to unbelievers, to those that are around us in accepting and responding to the very word that we have received. So the reason that we need to be slow to speak is to give ourselves the opportunity 
to discern a wise response and to give our minds a chance to form the words that, that will be helpful for that situation. Failure to hold the tongue, to speak wisely and with respect and care, that undermines genuine spirituality. When we speak, we're being challenged to strive for quality and not for quantity. And there's heaps of wisdom about this in Proverbs. And some examples, Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Thirdly, we're challenged to be slow to become angry which is to restrain anger. Anger is a natural emotion and isn't always evil, such as righteous indignation, which is anger over mistreatment or insult or malice of another. And anger can be, great, can be a great motivating factor in correcting injustice. But the kind of anger James is talking about here is human anger, which he's clarifying there at the beginning of verse 20. Human anger as opposed to God's anger or righteous indignation. We cannot hear God if we're distracted by resentment, hatred, or vengeful attitudes. I don't think James is suggesting we bottle up anything in unhealthy ways, but verse 19 paints a picture of a wise person being one who listens to God and others, deliberates, considers their response carefully before answering in an assertive and helpful way. The anger prohibited by this passage is not just the flashing, destructive, tempting anger, but also the simmering pot of hostile, mean-spirited feelings. The reason we need to be slow to anger is there in verse 20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger wastes the energies of God's people. It produces divisions and often comes from selfish ambition. The righteousness that God desires includes deeds such as those that James speaks about later in this book, chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Angry words and deeds cannot produce purity and peace. And Proverbs 29, verse 22 also warns, an angry person stares up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Such actions from angry Christians also present a stumbling block that prevents unbelievers from seeing that God provides good and perfect things as it's difficult to look at disorderly conduct of believers and then reconcile those to the actions of a good God. As Christians, we need to be cautious in our display of an angry spirit. And fourthly, we're challenged to get rid of all moral filth and evil, to make sure our heart is clean. As Christians, if our lives are too compromised by moral filth from TVs, movies, the internet, unhealthy relationships, and so forth, we'll find it hard to welcome the Word of God, to read it, to study it, and to nourish that seed that has been planted within us. If our lives are compromised, 
then behaviour and belief continually come into conflict. When we feel the conviction from the Spirit, then it might be saying something to us about our lifestyle. And we're warned about this. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. A persistence on our part to partake in such a lifestyle that brings grief to the Spirit that's in us, well then we need to rid ourselves of whatever it is that is prompting that. We need to rid ourselves of moral filth and continue to believe in the word of truth. And James offers us a motive for taking on these four challenges, to listen more, to talk with thought, to restrain anger, and to clean the heart. It's there in verse 21. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This verse issues a command, and then it provides an incentive for obedience. The command is to accept the word that's planted in you. These four challenges allow you to accept the word, and it allows that word within you to grow. It's been planted. Then the incentive for obedience is that God's word planted in you can save you. Obedience to God's word promotes holiness and it develops godly character. And we demonstrate a genuine likeness towards Christ as we get rid of the flaming desires for filth and evil. This shows the presence of a real experience of salvation. As believers, we are to receive the word. But there is something that's more crucial that's also required. You've heard the phrase, in one ear, out the other. Well, what does that mean? It means hearing something and then quickly forgetting about it. We hear all sorts of things, and James has just challenged us to be better listeners. But there's nothing really to be gained if you simply hear something and then fail to do anything with it. We've all heard that our bodies need nutritious food and exercise. We've all got knowledge about these things, that a healthy lifestyle will give us more energy and make us feel fitter. We're halfway into the year and a large section of our population would have made New Year's resolutions about healthy lifestyles. Though how much of that has translated to action mid-year now? In addition to receiving the word, it's not just about knowledge. We need to employ action. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So this is where the rubber hits the road. We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Those four things that James just challenged us on, we need to put them into practice. Otherwise, there's no benefit. If it's in one ear and out the other, you know, what's the point? It's not enough to listen to the word or merely read it. Those who only hear without obeying, well, they're deceiving themselves. Their, spirit, their spirituality is not authentic. And they put themselves in a vulnerable position. This, ver this, this verse pretty much sums up all of James. Put into practice what you profess to believe. And it's not just James that said these things. Jesus said in Matthew 4, chapter 4, verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Believers are to live by the word of God, allowing God's word to speak to us, counsel us, 
guide us, direct us and shape us as we orient our lives towards the, prom the promises and the presence and the purposes of God. The forgetful hearer will go through their life with the word, but it having no significant or enduring impact on their daily life. And there's another warning also in Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Anyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And there's a passage from Micah um, in the Old Testament that asks the question, how can I please God? And verse 8 wonderfully says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God wants us to act in ways that reflect him. He has shown us what is good. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Which brings us to verse 23 of that passage, where the author proceeds to explain why people should do more than merely listen to the truth. And he uses an illustration of a man looking at his face in a mirror. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man carefully observed his face, studied it, became familiar with his features. And those that listen to the word do so attentively and at length so they understand what they hear. They know what God expects them to do. Any failure to respond cannot be blamed on a lack of understanding. And James explains that after going away, this man immediately forgets what he looks like. Out of sight, out of mind. Would any of you here forget what you look like? You may not necessarily remember all the fine details, but to completely forget what you look like? That sounds extraordinary. And likewise, the same for any believer who listens carefully to God's truth and does not put it into action. Well, that's equally extraordinary. The purpose of listening, the reason we study the word, the reason we're all here today is not simply to get knowledge and understanding, but it's also to act on the truth and the things that we are learning. James now contrasts such a person, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. So here in verse 25, this person looks intently. They study it, they continue it, they have great understanding. But instead of forgetting what they have learned, they put it into practice. They have action that is now coupled with their understanding. And in this verse, we see the use of the word law, and it's not a reference to the Old Testament law. James qualifies that. He, makes a ref he wants his readers to understand that the law, he's describing it as the law that is perfect and gives freedom, which is the sum total of God's revealed truth which is fulfilled in 
and also, uh, and also includes Christ. The perfect law that James is referring to here is the gospel message, which does not enslave, but it brings freedom. The gospel is not simply the promise of salvation in and through Jesus, but also a call to follow him. There is an action that's required with the gospel. For James, real religion, authentic spirituality, is a matter of obedience to the word of truth. Being the gospel, the teachings of Jesus, being the word of God, such obedience is crowned with blessing, both now in the doing and in the age to come. When we look into the perfect law, we can continue in it. And James tells us how we continue in it, by not forgetting what we have heard, but by doing it. And now this brings us back to the topic of religion. Most unbelievers would generally see religion as a personal set or institutionalised system of religious attitudes, beliefs and practices. That's how Google defines it. What tends to happen is we turn things into a religion. There are expressions of Christianity and traditions which aren't necessarily a bad thing, but when these expressions are crystallised into codes and then we shift our focus into living to these codes and doing that makes us feel good, well, James is very blunt on this topic in verses 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He's basically saying, answer honestly, does your religion help you with the way that you use your mouth? Nothing is a better barometer of what is going on inside us than what comes out of our mouth. We express a lot of desires and thoughts of our heart through our mouth. And we just looked at anger, and we know that our tongue can be used as a weapon. And James goes on to talk about later in, throughout his book about the tongue, that in one breath it can build someone up, and in another tear them down. James is saying, check out your religion. You can feel as good as you want about doing your religion, but is it changing you on the inside? Is it controlling your tongue? And if you want another example, what was, when was the last time that you helped an orphan or widow? See, real religion that pleases God results in a lifestyle that has the same heart for the people that God has. The widow and the orphan are often used in Scripture as examples of people who are marginalised or oppressed. They are the people who need an advocate and they're most, most dependent on outsiders. Real religion is compassionate. It demonstrates love in action. It's hands-on, it's sleeves rolled up, it's care for the vulnerable in our midst. The vulnerable in our society include the homeless, the loveless, the indigenous, the refugees or recent arrivals, elderly, mental Ill, uh, those who are mentally ill, physically disabled, abandoned, unemployed, and the list goes on. If we consider ourselves as a real doer of the word and not just a hearer, then it's worthwhile pausing to reflect 
on how is it changing our life from the inside out, and whether it's leading ourselves to help others in our networks and around us, in our neighbourhoods, that are vulnerable. God's heart breaks for these people, does yours. And James uses another example. Is our religion allowing ourselves to be polluted by the world? Are we living by the world's value systems or by God's value system? The latter should include a heart of compassion for those in need. Are we a clean community that is decisive in turning away from sinful patterns, moral filth? Friends, we're being watched, not just by God, but by those in our lives who are not yet believers. Going back to that dinner conversation that I had, the guy I was speaking to, he went to a Christian school in Adelaide, and he really liked the principles of Christianity and the things that Jesus said. He said they were really good instructions on how to be a worthy human being, the best that anyone has ever come up with that he's, that he's come to see throughout his adult life. But he saw too much disconnect with Christians saying one thing but doing another, which unfortunately for him leads him to remain sceptical and is a barrier for him to be a Christian. There's a survey called Faith and Belief in Australia, which is a national survey on religion, spirituality and worldview trends. And the results state that the greatest attraction for an unbeliever towards Christianity is authentic and genuine faith. Seeing Christians live out an authentic and genuine faith is the greatest attraction to Christianity that an unbeliever will see. But sadly, two-thirds also say they are negatively influenced when they see hypocrisy. So the kind of religion that our God expect, accepts is the kind that exerts a positive influence on our life, that springs from an inner spiritual reality and expresses itself in love to others, and holiness to God. It should be more than superficial acts, and it shouldn't be based on simply hearing spiritual truths, but instead putting those truths into action. So let's be a community that listens more, that talks with thought, that restrains anger, and that cleans the heart. But just as importantly, let's be a community of not just hearers, but a community of doers the couple's action with the truth that we have planted within us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that was as relevant um, in the first century as it is now and has been relevant throughout the ages. We, um, we pray that the things that you teach us in your word, that we'll be better listeners, that we'll think about those things. And we'll look at how we can put those into action. We pray that we will be a community that reaches out and that people see actions speaking louder than words. We, um, your community, though those around us in our neighbourhood, Lord, really need you. And our churches should be much fuller. So we just pray that each of us, that our hearts break for those that really need, um, really need the things that you offer, both in this life and beyond. We really need the peace that you offer.
In your name I pray. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.